Welcome to Calvary HSM Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope this blesses you. Everybody, how y'all doing tonight? Um, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before, my name is Drew. I'm the associate director here at HSM. Um, and uh, if you're just joining us, uh, either online or in person, uh, we are in week three of our five-week series, Dating, Kissing, Sex, and Stuff. Uh, and congratulations, we've made it to the sex and stuff portion of the night. So I just want to pause and acknowledge um, there might be a lot of different ways that you feel about that. Maybe this is like your first time and you're like, what did I just walk into? Um, and uh, I feel for you. And we're going to have a fun conversation. Um, I'm not going to be overly graphic. That's my uh, commitment to you. Uh, and Or maybe you're in the room and you're like, yes, this is my favorite topic. I've been waiting. Um, we're we're going to discover this together. So we're going to dive into that in a second. But first, I want to tell uh, a cool story. So I've been a leader here at HSM for quite some time now, for years and years. Um, and our favorite thing uh, as HSM leaders, well, first and foremost is Jesus. You're, like if you've been here, even if this was your first night, we've mentioned Jesus so much. We love Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, he's the best thing that ever happened to us. He's changed our life, changed our world. Um, and then in HSM, second only to Christ himself is we love doing life with you guys. Like the, the reason that all of the adults in the room are in the room is because they love you guys. They want to walk through life with you guys. They're, they didn't just have like nothing better to do on a Sunday night. Uh, they, they came here for you. We love you guys. And so I just want to say one of our greatest joys uh, in HSM and in our life um, is to get to uh, build a relationship with you guys and just kind of like walk the journey with you to be able to share from our experiences of like, hey, I, I remember at this point in this life, I had this, this difficult decision and here's how I approached it. And it totally went great for me. And maybe that will be of use to you. And in the other way, like, hey, here's some things that I did that hopefully you can learn from and avoid some of the heartache from my life. And it's this beautiful thing that we get to do to be in relationship with you and to journey with you as you experience life's high points uh, and its pitfalls. Uh, and so let me just say, if you're in this room, if this is your first time with us or one of your first times with us, um, and you don't have adults in your life um, that you feel are focused on you, care about you, and want to journey with you through your life to celebrate your triumphs and your hardships, um, we're here for you. Uh, sometimes you can enter a space like this and it's kind of overwhelming and it's like, well, those people seem to know all the leaders and I don't. Um, please just like, we do our part to try to like move around and meet as many of you as possible. And at the same time, just open invitation that you can come and grab us and be like, hey, I'm newer here. Or even like, hey, I've been here for a couple of years and I've never met you. What's your name? How do I get to know you? Uh, we love that. And so I had the privilege of leading my first HSM small group uh, about 15 years ago, which is a long time ago. Um, but uh, I grew up here at Calvary. I was in an HSM small group. And then about 15 years ago, I had the privilege. I co-led with a good friend of mine. He was in the video, Brian Howard. Um, and we co-led our first HSM small group together about 15 years ago. And let me tell you, it was a wild ride. That was when I was like... High schoolers are cool. Uh, it was a group of just like the craziest maniacs you've ever met, violent, uh, like feral creatures that they were. I remember this one guy had this skill where he could like, you know, like towel snapping? He could snap a towel so like efficiently, precisely that he would draw blood. He'd get blood from you. He also somehow acquired like a blow dart with like needle like darts and he would like pop around the corner and like dart people. And I'd be like, no, Michael, stop, stop it, drop it. Um, and they were just crazy. Um, 
And at the same time, so fun and so good-hearted and so deep. And to just get to like walk through the journey with them from being freshmen to sophomores to juniors to seniors to trying to like figure out how to talk to girls to figuring out prom to figure out uh, college if that was their next step to go to college to move away from home. All of those things. And, and the beautiful thing is... Um, to get to continue life with them afterwards. And so uh, the cool story that I want to share, uh, there was a guy in that very first group named Daniel, really cool dude, uh, just like the most infectious laugh you've ever met. You know those people who just kind of like laugh at everything and they kind of somehow like hypnotize you into it with them? This was Daniel. Uh, and it was, so he was just like, I was like, this, this dude's my buddy, but just like so kind-hearted, just like a good dude trying to figure out life. And so to get to journey with him through high school and then figuring out his next steps and going to college and all of that, moving away, figuring out jobs, you know, getting into relationships, getting out of relationships, all of that. Um, and then to a few years ago, getting a, getting a call from him, like, hey, can we grab lunch? Cool. We sit down to lunch. He's like, hey, I met a girl. And I could just like see that something was different in his eyes. I see girls already who are like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> He's like, I met a girl. And I could just tell, I was like, oh, he hasn't talked about anyone like this before. I could see something. And so to go to then him to start to date this girl, this woman. Uh, and then uh, a later conversation where he calls and he's like, hey. I bought a ring and he like showed the ring. He's like, I'm gonna propose, I'm gonna ask her to be my wife and then walking through that with him. And then they get engaged and then I get a call from both of them. And they're like, hey, we want you to officiate our wedding. Gosh, talk about an honor. If you wanna just like make your former small group leader be a puddle on the floor, ask them to officiate your wedding. Um, and so I got to officiate their wedding a little over a year ago. Uh, and then about a year ago, a little less, about nine months ago, I get the call. We're pregnant. We're expecting our first baby. Uh, and on Friday night, St. Patrick's Day, so two nights ago, they gave birth to their daughter, Sophie. Come on! So I'm a church grandpa. No, um, but here, I'm just like, let's just be honest here, you guys. We're all friends, let's be real. Um, most newborn babies are kind of ugly, right? <laughs> That is a cute baby. Like by any metric, that baby, little Sophie, is a cutie patootie. That's just how it works. Like most times babies come out and they're newborn and they're like slimy and their faces squished in weird ways from the exit. That's as much detail I'll go into on that. Uh, and it's kind of like you're like, that's a baby. And you know, like, oh, give it a month and it'll be cute. And then I can celebrate how cute your child is. <laughs> it's like, oh, you had a baby. Um, but this little nugget of joy is just a cutie from Go. Um, and so here's the thing. I just want to pause and acknowledge um, what you hopefully all know by now is that that little bundle of joy is here and exists in this world and has this whole big, beautiful life ahead of her because two people had sex. Yeah, that's the tone. That's the tone for tonight, you guys. She exists because two people, a man and a woman, decided to have sex. And that was a good decision, because what a cutie. Let me go a step further. You're going to hate this. This room is full of people because hundreds of men and women decided to have sex with each other. Whoa. This world is populated because sex is a thing that exists, right? And now some of you are like, I want to die. Like, get me out of here right now. 
But here's the thing, guys. We have to pause and acknowledge that sex is an interesting topic because everything that is alive, every living animal, every person is alive because of sex. And at the same time, it's a topic that we tend to kind of like try to put away and we don't, it's not super comfortable. We don't know how to talk about it. Uh, and so it's something that's everywhere around us and we don't spend a lot of time talking about. And so tonight we want to talk about it. But I want to just, before we get started, I want to acknowledge that in this room, there's probably a wide variety of ways of thinking about sex, of uh, ways of feeling about sex, of uh, things you've been told about sex, of, dare I say, experiences in the category of sex, a wide variety. And so I just want to pause and acknowledge that sex comes to us as a topic a number of different ways, right? Like maybe for you, your parents or your mom or your dad sat you down and had the talk, right? Anyone have the talk? I know we want out the parents. Probably some of you had the talk. But here's the thing, maybe you had it at an age where you're young enough where like your mom sat you down or your dad sat you down or they were very businessy about it and they sat you down together and explained things to you and you're just at an age where you're like, that's weird, uh, and then kind of like moved on with your life. Uh, or maybe it was uh, at an age where you were a little bit older, maybe you had already heard about it and you were like, I'm mortified, I don't want to be having this talk with my parents. Or maybe your parents didn't give you the talk, right? Like maybe you learned about sex from an older sibling Maybe you learned about sex from a friend or a group of friends. Maybe uh, you learned about it in class, and you're like, this is weird. I don't want to hear about this from my teacher. Um, it's weird enough to see them at the mall. Um, but maybe you heard about it in school. Maybe your parents were like, here's a book, read it. And that was like the extent of it. Maybe you learned about it from a book. Um, maybe, and I just like, let's be real. Maybe you've never had just an open conversation with another person about the topic of sex. Right? Like maybe that's just never, maybe it's a thing that you kind of like joke about sometimes and then you put the topic away and you don't know how to talk about it. Maybe you've never just felt like there was a space where you could talk about the topic. And maybe you learned about sex um, off of the internet. And dare I say, maybe your sex education was just things that you saw in porn. Like there are a variety of ways that we learn about sex. And also there's probably a variety of ways that we feel about sex in the room, right? Like maybe you're in the room and you're kind of like, I don't think sex is that big of a deal. I think it's like a fun thing to do, recreational. Like it doesn't seem like an issue if you're both down, great. Uh, and so that's this side of the conversation. And then maybe way over here at the other side of the conversation, you're like, sex is something that for me carries a lot of fear and a lot of shame. And it's like this heavy burden that I just try to like avoid the topic because I don't want to think about it, right? Like there's a lot of ways to feel about sex. And then finally, there's probably a lot of different experiences with it. Like maybe you're a person, if we can just be honest, we can be open, we're all friends here. Maybe sex has been a big part of your experience already in your young life. Maybe it's just kind of like, yeah, that's been a thing that kind of like came into the chat a long time ago and I have all these experiences and maybe on the other end of the conversation, sex is something that's felt scary and far away and something that you've kind of tried to keep at arm's length. And finally, I just want to pause and acknowledge that there's probably a few people in this room that for you, your first encounter with sex was a very traumatic experience. And I just want to pause and say, if that is your experience, we're so sorry. And we as adults want to be your grownups if you need people to talk to, to journey through it with. And so like, let's just acknowledge sex is a loaded topic. There's so much going on when we talk about sex. And so my hope for tonight is that as we get into this conversation, that we can create a space together where we can have some common ground, where we can say like whatever the history is, whatever the thinking, whatever the experience, can we just create a space where we can all come together and just think through it, talk through it. And so I just wanna say like, 
for us to create a space for us all, for people with different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, different kinds of experiences, for us to have a space together, we need to be able to meet on common ground, right? It, again, you're, you've wandered into a church tonight. Maybe you did it on purpose, or maybe you're like, what are those flashing lights over there? Um, but for us, as people who are part of the family of God, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and Jesus is our great equalizer. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask the question, how can Jesus create common ground for us to stand on? Because that's the big question. If we're going to enter this conversation, if we're all coming from different places, different experience, different education on it, different uh, maybe even like family ways of thinking about it, different experiences, how can Jesus create common ground for us to stand on together? And so there's three things that I want to just put in our mind before we go any further in this conversation. The first is this. We have to acknowledge that in a room full of people or anywhere you go, according to scripture and just reality, the first is this. All people have fallen short of the glory of God. And I think a lot of times, especially in church world, we can start talking about behavior and dare I say, even the topic of sex. And it can start to feel like the air left the room and you're being judged and you're being scrutinized over everything that you did. And here's what we just have to pause and acknowledge. Whether it's in the category of sex or anything else, every single person falls short of the glory of God. And that's good news for us because it means that no one is better than anybody else. We don't get to come into a space like this and feel superior to anyone else. And we don't have to come into a space like this and feel inferior to anybody else. It is common ground for us to stand on. In fact, the book of Romans in chapter 3, 22 says this. It says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not just the people who've got it figured out, not the people who don't have a, a spotty past. To anybody who believes, righteousness is given. It says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So the first and most important thing to have a conversation on a topic as loaded as this is that we have to come in and approach this with the understanding that we all fall short, and that means that we're all on equal footing. Like if you have a track record that makes you feel superior, um, we're gonna ask that you just check that at the door. And if you have a track record that makes you feel less than, judged, inferior, like people are looking at you, like people know, we're also gonna ask you to check that at the door because that doesn't have any place here and that's not the way that God's community operates. So the first is that all have fallen short. The second is this, there is no condemnation in God's house. That's just, like, that is a rule of the scriptures. That is a rule in God's family. There is no condemnation in God's house. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation in God's house. There is no condemnation at God's table. And so for us to have this common ground to stand on, 
it needs to be said, it needs to be repeated that God's family, God's house is not a place for judgment, for throwing people away because of their track record, uh, for judging people, for making them feel less than or unwanted or uninvited. Um, There is no condemnation in God's house. And that's common ground that we can stand on. And the last and perhaps the best thing that we need to remember is that Jesus is actively in the business of making everything new. So in essence, if he's already dealt with our past, yes, there are things that we need to work through. Yes, there are things that he wants to give us blessings where he wants to release our hand from the brokenness of our past and call us into holiness, but it's not so that we can earn our place with him, right? And it's not because that can control our eternal destiny. He's making everything new. And that's a process of renewal that happens over and over and over again in our lives if he'll let us. And so let's remember as we enter this topic that we have common ground to stand on in Jesus. And if you're someone, you're in the room and you're like, I'm checking out Jesus, I don't know. Um, First of all, that's what we're about. And that's good news. Like, does that sound like good news to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's good news. And so first I just want to say, like, if you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, who he is, or you're trying to get to know him, what he's about, um, you've come to the right place. And we would love to answer your questions. We would love to walk alongside you. Uh, We invite your curiosity. We don't expect you to just like hook, line, and sinker, be like, whatever you say, like, we're, we're good with questions. We're good with your investigator hat, if you want to put that on. Um, you've come to the right place. But that's the good news of the gospel, is that we've all fallen short, but there's no condemnation in God's house because he's already paid for it. You are not bankrupt. Your account is not empty. You're not in debt because of the things that you've done if you're in Jesus. And that's good news. And on top of that, he's making everything new. So whether you have brokenness in your past that you have contributed to actively or brokenness in your past that people have imposed upon you, he's making everything new, right? And so as we move forward, I want us to keep in mind the difference between shame versus conviction. And it's important for us to distinguish the two because shame has no place here, right? But conviction is something that might occur. You need to be ready for that. Like, it, it could happen. You could hear something, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> that hit me sideways. Oh, well, that was for me, right? <laughs> it's happened to me. Believe me, I hear some knowing, la- some like nervous laughter of like, oh, it's happened to me before. Um, here's the difference shame is when I consider, when I take account of my past, things that have happened to me, decisions I've made, ways I've behaved, um, that causes me to feel um, unlovable, uh, unwanted. Uh, It makes me want to turn inward, close off, retreat from people, hide. Um, And shame is something that has no place here. And so just know that if by the end of tonight you leave here feeling the heaviness of shame, that's not from God. And that's not our heart, right? There is no place for shame here. Conviction, on the other hand, conviction is when something just makes its way through. And it's like, oh, dang. That's the thing that I've been trying to ignore. It's the thing that I already knew. It's the thing I've put on the back burner as like someday I got to deal with that. It's the thing that I've tried to look at anything but that. Um, But I know that I've been lying to myself for a long time. And the time is now to do something about it. 
That's the difference. Shame is something that tears us down and causes us to retreat from other people and from God. Conviction is the opposite. Conviction is the thing that starts the healing process and draws us into community with each other and into community with God. And so conviction is a thing that might happen. And I just want to say, like, it's kind of scary uh, at the beginning, but it's always a blessing. Shame has no business being here tonight. And so, let's get into it. The first thing uh, that has to be said, because there's a lot of weird ideas about sex, especially um, in the faith tradition, in Christianity. Here's the first thing that has to be said. Sex is not from hell. Sex is from heaven. To put it in a different way, God made sex. God loves sex. Sex is good. Let me say that again. God made sex. God loves sex. Sex is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. In fact, if you open up a Bible at the very first page, you'll probably hit like a table of contents or like publisher's notes. Flip a little forward. First book of the Bible you'll hit is Genesis, right? And if you start at Genesis 1, verse 1, and move forward until you find the first command of God, um, what you'll find is maybe not what you would expect, right? You would maybe think um, that the first command of God to mankind would be something about like, love your neighbor or like be forgiving or um, I don't know, like careful with the alcohol or whatever God might say. But here's the first command in scripture to humankind in Genesis 1, verse 27 and verse 28, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, first command, be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, God's first command to humanity is have sex and make babies and build a cool world. That's what it is. That's what it is. The first command in scripture, have sex, make babies, build a cool world right? Now, God's going to put that inside of the container of marriage, right? Um, but God's first command is have sex, make babies, build a cool world. Amen. That's a good assignment. We like that. We're here for it. But here's what you need to know. So God created sex. God loves sex. Sex is good. Here's what we need to keep in mind about God's creations, any of his good gifts. God's creations operating God's way are only ever a blessing. Let me repeat that. God's creations operating God's way are only ever a blessing. They will only ever bring goodness into your life. They will only ever bring blessing into your life. And so that begs the question, if sex is a good gift from God, and if we know that God's good gifts operating God's way will only bring blessing into our life, the question is, what is sex for? Like, what is the design? What is the function? We have to ask the question so that we know how it operates so that we can receive that blessing with it. And so what I want to do is I'm going to look at three functions of sex. The first is this. Like, what is sex designed for? Um, this might be the most surprising thing you've ever heard. Sex is for procreation. There you go. That was a, that was a misdirect. It wasn't surprising. You, already, you all already knew that. Um, but sex is for procreation. It's how life 
advances, right? We said, the reason you're all here is because hundreds of men and women decided to have sex. They got that twinkle in their eye. They're like, it's time. Maybe they lit a candle, put on some music. Um, everyone's like, I need to go away. Um, it's how life advances. And here's the reality. If you've reached physical maturity, inside you is the spark of life the creative spark of life. God placed it in you. That's an incredible thing. God could have chosen any way to replenish the population of the world, but he chose to put the spark of creative power in you, right? Guys, sperm, girls, eggs. And when the two come together, this is actual biology. They've recently discovered when when a seed fertilizes an egg, there's an actual spark that occurs. There's light. They don't know why. But there's, there's a burst of light, and then the creation process begins. Um, and in fact, David talks to this in Psalms. In Psalm 139, verse 13, David's kind of like thinking about this. He's chewing on all of these thoughts. Um, and here's what he says to God. Psalm 139, he says to God, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. So there's something that happens, right? There's the spark of creation inside of the male, and there's the spark of creation inside of the female, and they join together in sex, um, and when it goes really well, the egg is fertilized, right? And then a process happens where it says that God begins to take from the mother and the father and knit together a new creation. In other words, um, God will take from the mother some of the essence of who she is, genetically, yes, like DNA, but also qualities about her, God will handpick those qualities, and then God will take from the Father. Genetic DNA, yes, but also just qualities, and handpick, and he will weave them together, stitch them together, and create new life. That's the process through which you were created. A man and a woman, both carrying the spark of creation, and God knitting it together. It says, He says, my frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place. In other words, if if you've ever been around someone expecting, been around uh, someone who is pregnant, right? Like that's a process that we don't really get to witness, right? Like there's, um, what do you call them? Like uh, ultrasounds, right? You've seen an ultrasound, right? It's like cool because it's like at a certain point you can start to see the shape of the baby, but it also kind of looks like a horror movie, right? It's all like black and white and staticky and it's like, what if something jumps out? but it's, the, it's a process that's concealed from us. Sometimes through the miracle of modern science and medicine, we can peek at what's happening in there, right? I actually have some friends who are expecting, and they went to their ultrasound uh, recently, and the doctor was like, oh yeah, there's the baby. Uh, hold on, I just wanna like check for something. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, is something wrong? And the doctor's like, no, I just need to check. Um, and they're starting to freak out, and then the doctor's like, um, you have twins, there's two in there. And they're like, what? Right, like it's a crazy process. Just imagine before that technology where it was like, you have a baby, congratulations. Wait, there's another one that was hiding in there that's about to jump out. Uh, It's amazing. It's a process that is concealed from us, but it says that God is intimately involved. 
that he sees what is hidden. And not just that, but that he is in the process of stitching together new life. And so the first function, the first utility of sex is procreation. The second one is uh, a more technical term. It's something, I'm going to explain it. It's something called pair bonding. Anybody heard of pair bonding? Any like uh, social psychologists in the room or biologists in the room? I'm going to explain what pair bonding is. Here's what pair bonding is. Pair bonding is this amazing thing. It's measurable, like they've seen it in science, where when two partners have a sexual encounter, um, something shifts in their physiology, in their brain chemistry, and their brain gets a bath um, in some chemicals that are introduced in a new way. Um, In fact, let me just read this. It says, at the heart of pair bonding are neural systems dependent on peptides, including oxytocin, vasopressin, opioids, CRF, and related hormones, right? So it's a chemical process. When two partners have a sexual experience together, there's a, your brain is literally like bathed in new chemicals that are released from your body and it builds a strong bond, right? And now that's just on the physical, that's just on the biological side. Uh, there is a spiritual connection that happens, but here's what it is, is that God designed sex to take a husband and a wife and to bond them together, to help them fuse their lives together. And it, does, it has all sorts of effects, right? It makes them um, more loyal to each other, right? It makes them less preferential towards people outside of the pair bond. Um, it helps them uh, look more favorably at their partner um, through difficulties, right? All, all of that. Pair bonding is this amazing thing that happens. And in fact, um, In Genesis, Matthew, Mark, and Ephesians, the same scripture pops up. It's repeated. And when the Bible repeats, um, it's trying to draw your attention to something, to say like, hey, pay attention to this. This is a big deal. Here's what it says, repeated over and over. Um, It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, right? There's this unifying thing that happens when two partners have a sexual experience, The third and final uh, utility, let's say, of sex is pleasure, right? Like, sex was designed to be a pleasurable activity. That is not like a flaw where God's like, whoops, made it too fun. Um, That's by design. God made it to be pleasurable in the bonds of marriage. In Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, it says this. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, that's in the Bible. Um, Here we go. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. It says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Right? That is the Holy Bible. Sex is designed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be a pleasurable thing to partake in. But let's jump back. God's creation, God's good gifts, operating God's way are always only ever a blessing, right? God's good gifts operating God's way will bring nothing but blessing to your life. On the other side of the coin, this is true of sex and this is true of all of God's good blessings, when we try to bend God's good gifts out of their intended shape and design, one of two things happens, maybe both. When we try to bend God's good gifts out of their intended shape and design, we either hurt the gift 
or the gift hurts us. Let me say that again. When we try to bend God's good gifts out of their intended shape and design, we either hurt the gift and its ability to be fully impactful or the gift snaps back and hurts us, right? Because God's gifts operate the way God intends them to operate. So we can't selectively choose their function. And when we try to bend it out of its intended use, there are always ramifications. And I just like, let's just pause and acknowledge. Um, there's a convenient way of thinking. There's a cultural way of thinking. Um, dare I say like the enemy, like we are in this cosmic drama with God and there is an enemy, Satan. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to believe that we can select what we want from sex without the consequences of the others, right? That we would get into a way of thinking of sex is only uh, a pleasurable thing. I can just take the pleasure of sex and I can suppress the, the bonding element of it. Uh, I can suppress the procreating aspect of it. Um, and one of two things happens when we do that. First, we harm the gift, right? We, we harm its ability to be fully potent to accomplish the things that God designed it to in our life, in marriage. Or the gift snaps back um, and still does what it's designed to do right? Like pair bonding is a big one, right? When we pair bond over and over and over again with people, it weakens the potency of that bond because it's spread over multiple partners. Um, and on the other side of it, when you pair bond with people that you have no intention of marrying, <laughs> that you're like, this is, they're good for a good time, but I, no thank you. Uh, sometimes we stay in relationships because pair bonding works. And you stay in relationships you were never meant to be in. Yeah. I've seen so many people that I know and love stay in bad relationships because the sex was good. That's not a good reason to stay in a relationship. That's time lost. It's heartbreaking. When we take God's good gifts and we bend them out of their intended shape and design, we either harm the gift or they harm us. And here's the reality, my friends, is that God is pretty clear that he designed sex to exist within the safety, the security, the love, and the commitment of marriage. And the reality is um, that in order for something to be intimate, just by definition, for something to be intimate, it has to be exclusive. That's just how intimacy works, right? And so like, if someone was to call you and say, hey, I wanna have you over for an intimate dinner with just a few friends. What that means is it wasn't an open invitation. They didn't invite everybody else. It wasn't just kind of like that scene in the movie where they throw the flyers down into the quad and everyone's like, I'm going, right? An intimate dinner means that only a select few people were invited to join, right? Intimacy necessitates exclusive. You can never be more intimate than you are exclusive. And that's not like the people who aren't invited into a thing you hate or you are mean to or whatever, but by definition, for something to be truly intimate, it has to be exclusive. And this is something um, that already operates in our life and already operates in our life naturally in a physical way. Let me talk you through it. So depending on how you physically interact with somebody, it pretty clearly indicates the relationship that you have to them. So let's start um, on the, probably the farthest away from intimate. Um, if someone is uh, your enemy, right? If, if you are at odds with someone, if they hate you or you hate them or whatever, um, probably where that begins is zero physical acknowledgement of them, right? Like if, uh, have you ever like tried to get someone's attention and you, then it becomes clear that they're ignoring you, like they can hear you, but you're not, you don't look at them, no eye contact, 
right? You don't stop or change what you're doing. You don't speak to them. You act like you don't hear them. No physical interaction, right? Uh, maybe moving a step forward. Here's a weird phenomenon. Um, and this is definitely true of the guys in the room, maybe some of the girls. Um, are you aware that guys have two nods? Guys, are you aware of the nod? Here's what we do. It's, no, there's no like class. Uh, it's just a thing that happens, right? This might be news to some of you. Um, we nod down for strangers, and we nod up for friends. You right? Think about this. I mean, you're never going to unsee this, right? You're watching us see some nods, right? When you see a stranger, nod down. Sign of respect, right? How's it going, sir? Right? When you see a friend, what's up? Right? You nod up. Now you're going to notice it everywhere you go. The two nods, everyone's mind just got blown, right? We got the two nods, we nod down for strangers, up for friends. Uh, you can just see it at work all around the world. Uh, maybe a step further, right? The handshake, the universal sign of friendship, right? If you'll extend your hand to somebody, it's usually a gesture of peace, of agreement. If you're meeting someone for the first time, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Um, maybe hugs, like maybe you're a hugger and you hug someone and you're like, never let go. Uh, or maybe you don't like being touched and you're like, that's enough for me, right? But like, you don't hug everybody, right? Like the closer into intimacy you get, the more physical you get. Kissing is the next one, right? I'm gonna guess that you don't kiss everyone. Maybe you're in a kissing family and we'll pray for you. That makes me uncomfy, but like everybody's welcome at church. Um, but probably you only kiss people that you have some sort of a romantic intention in. And so the closer into intimacy we get, the more exclusive it becomes. And the reality, my friends, is that God designed sex to exist in the most intimate bond that he created. In marriage, it is a safe place to exchange that. Love, commitment, partnership, uh, all of that is the container into which God asks us to pour sex. Let's get uh, scholastic about this for a second. There's a recent study. This is fascinating. This is not a Christian study. This is um, just a secular study. There's a recent study from the Institute of Family Studies. And here's what they found. The number of premarital partners a person has strongly predicts divorce likelihood. This is just like, and again, this is not to say, and we're gonna get into some of the data. This is not to say that if you're a person who's sitting in this room and you're like, I've had a lot of sexual partners, does that mean that my marriage is doomed? Not necessarily. Remember, Jesus is in the business of continually making things new. And so I don't say any of this to try to put fear into your heart, to try to make you feel defeated, less than, like your future is hopeless, that's not at all the intent. But facts are friends, and this is what we're learning. Here's what they found. Premarital partners strongly predict divorce likelihood. People with nine or more premarital sexual partners, they found, are 151% more likely to have marriages that end in divorce. That's two to three times as likely as people who get married as virgins. People are like, oh, no. They also found that people who had between one and eight premarital partners, their odds of divorce went up by 50%. The people group that was least likely to have marriages that ended in divorce 
were people who married as virgins. And so what they found, what science has gotten to, is this notion, this really popular way of thinking of saying, like, why would you, this is awful, but this is what people say. They say things like, why would you buy the car if you haven't test driven it? Well, actually, the science doesn't back that up. The people in the most satisfying, long-term, committed marriages are the people who had no prior partners before marriage. They also found that there's no difference in gender, that it didn't affect men or women more in any way, the number of sexual partners, that the more partners that you have pre-marriage, the more likely your marriage was to not work out. That's what they found. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go back to what we said at the beginning and, and reestablish the difference between shame and conviction. Because shame is what causes us to go inward, to hide, to feel less than, to feel uh, like a lost cause, to feel broken, to feel gross. And that has no place here. That has no place in your life. Um, and so I just want to speak over you that shame's not allowed uh, in your heart, in your mind. Those are the rules. But conviction is something that might happen. Maybe it's something you got going on right now. But here's what I want to do, and we're, we're going to land this plane in a second. So, band, if you want to start making your way to the stage. The way that we reconcile all of this, like maybe for you, you're like, this was really stimulating conversation, and I'm, I'm glad we talked through it. Or maybe for you, you're like, oh, boy, um, this was not the night that I was expecting to have. Uh, and I just want to say, like, thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, meeting us in this common ground. Um, but the great equalizer for us in all of this is Jesus, right? And, like, we're a community that we aspire to always lift high the name of Jesus. And the reality is, is that we can have a free future because Jesus has already dealt with our past. That's, that's the good news of the gospel, right, is that regardless of what you have in your rear view mirror, that Jesus has already accounted for it, right? It's a free invitation. The scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when you say a word like nothing, you mean a word like nothing, right? And so whatever the thing is that might be flying through your head right now of this thing in my heart, this thing in my life, this thing in my past, surely it separates me from the love of God. No, let me just tell you, that's a lie. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He doesn't need you to nail it to love you. He loves you irrevocably. So much so that he's already settled it. He says, it's a free gift. The good news is it's already paid for. All you gotta do is come home. And if you're someone who you're here right now and you feel like there's just like a mountain of sin in front of you, and you're like, I don't even know where to begin to deal with this. It's not your job to deal with the invitation is to come to Jesus and he'll help you get through it. He'll move it out of your life. And so here's what it says in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Here's the invitation from God to us. He says, so come now, let's settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they will be like wool. And so the question is, how do we as believers, if we're believers, again, if you're checking things out, we're so glad you're here. And if you have questions, we want to get into them with you. We're not going to try to manipulate you into believing what we believe. We're not going to try to trick you. We just want to walk with you and answer your questions if you've got them. But if we are believers, then how do we as believers who are messy, who are broken, who don't always get it right, who oftentimes get it wrong, how are we supposed to approach a holy, almighty God 
What do we do when we fall? And in order to talk about that, we have to talk briefly about something called the Holy of Holies. We're going to jump back to the Old Testament. Here's what you need to know. In ancient Israel, God didn't meet with his people in the same way, right? Like Jesus hadn't come and removed the barrier, the obstacle of sin uh, between us and God. And so what would happen was in the uh, Jewish temple, um, it kind of, what we were talking about, it got more intimate as it got more exclusive. And so there was a certain group of people who were allowed on the outer courts, and then there was a smaller group of people who was allowed further in. That was thrilling. And then there was an even more select group of people who were allowed further in, all the way to the middle. And in the middle of the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where the Spirit of God resided. And only one person was allowed in the Holy of Holies. And that person was the high priest. And that high priest was only allowed to enter into the presence of God once a year. And what they would do is they would tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it so that if he walked into the presence you of Almighty okay? God and God's holiness overtook him because he was sinful and messy and broken, that if he dropped dead from the glory of God, that they wouldn't have to go in to the presence of God, that they could pull him out by the rope. That was how it operated for centuries, was that the presence of God could not be entered into by a messy, broken person. But Jesus changed all of that. Like that's literally, like when you look at the uh, account of Jesus's death and resurrection, the curtain that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, it says tore not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, that God tore that barrier open. And so we relate to God in a different way than they had to Thousands of years ago, here's what it says in Hebrews. Hey, bro. Jesus okay, so if you were plugged priest, in, says, praise God. Since Are you plugged we in? have a great high priest okay. who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Yeah, he All right, did check not it out. Um, once so, you're done praying, how do we approach you can try it. Um, it if this, it crackles, we'll just, we'll just cut you off, God's but keep playing of grace like, on with stage. Confidence. Other translations will say, let us go boldly into the presence check my texts. of God so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the invitation. When you realize that you haven't nailed it, when you feel messy, when you feel broken, and the question is, how do I approach a holy God? His answer once and forever is, you can come into my throne room boldly because you know that I'm not gonna punish you, I'm not gonna meet you with condemnation, I'm not gonna hate you, I'm not gonna send you out of my presence hey, forever. Can smile. It's I okay. love you, I've chosen you, I've God dealt with it, and so the most honoring thing you can do to me is to come with confidence into my presence. And so I just wanna say to you, when you feel in touch with your brokenness, when you feel messy, if you feel like you need to then stay away from God to figure it out, to get clean again, to get holy so that you can enter God's presence, that's actually a disrespect and a misunderstanding of the work of Jesus. The most honoring thing you can do is get up and go boldly to him because he can handle your mess. He can handle your past. He's not afraid of it. He's not put off by it. He's not disgusted by you. He loves you. And the most honoring thing you can do is get up and go into his presence. And so we're going to pray and we're going to enter his presence with worship. Amen? Amen. All right.
Jesus, thank you um, for the good news that you love us, God, um, that you don't judge us by our ability to be perfect because uh, we are unable to do it. God, thank you that you've already dealt with it, that you love us. God, that your commands are intended for our blessing. God, that you're not trying to um, spoil our fun, that you're not trying to uh, be a stickler, but God, that you're trying to protect our joy. That when you tell us to do things or not do things, God, that your ultimate goal is for our good. Help us to trust you. And so, God, I just pray that you would uh, enter this space, that your spirit would be here in a rich way, in a fresh way, that we would meet you. Um, yeah, we love you, God. And we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that was a blessing to you. You can connect with us on social media at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or on our website. God bless you.